0: Hello, how are you guys this week? I hope everyone is drinking their water and staying hydrated and taking good vitamins. Um, I'm feeling a little better this week. Um, And I'm also super, super excited about this conversation with a, I would say a newish friend of mine. Deepthi Gupta is an actress. She is a audiobook narrator. Um, She is a storyteller in general and her journey from growing up in a family in Delhi that was conservative by nature both considering where she was from and also historically she was the first woman in her family to leave India on her own terms and go to a new country where she didn't know anyone so here we talk about what that journey was like, how she grew up, um, how she got the acting bug. Where did that stem from? Her parents' ideas about creativity as it pertains to having a career and also her journey to the U.S. So I think this is a really great story about what does it feel like to grow up in a society, in a world where the arts is not valued as much as a career. How does it feel getting past the fear that your family has for you as you venture into that new career, as you venture into the unknown? These are the things that me and Deepty are going to discuss. So I'm super excited for this conversation and her particular journey, and I hope you enjoy it. To make
1: sure it was recorded. I've had that happen before oh, no.
0: too. <laughs> okay. Oh, Deep T, how are you?
1: I'm good. good. And you? I'm
0: good. I'm good. <laughs> as we're both glistening. I know. <laughs> uh, me from a shower and you from a bike ride. Yes. She lives in my neighborhood. Um just so,
1: 2.5 miles away. I know, just the perfect exercise. It was. It was great <laughs> to ride and just see all the different I love. Just riding, like in the car, you can't really see, but on a bike, you kind of you can take your time, yeah, and just see how the topography changes and the houses mm-hmm. and what's happening, construction, people. It's just so fun, right? No, I love it.
0: So we're just gonna dive right in, okay? I want to know, like, I a, a little background for the listeners. I met DT about two years ago. We are in a mother actress accountability group <laughs> I always say when people ask me I always say it a different way and then they're like what is that oh. um, basically we keep each other in check Yeah. keep each other accountable help each other with our goals blah 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 um, but I met DT two years ago uh, through that and we're neighbor friends yes. and we're friends and we're fellow colleagues yes um, all of that and she's had an interesting. I don't want to say history, but like interesting life, I guess. Journey, yes. (laughs) Interesting journey, yes. Yes. Thank you. So
1: you grew up where? I grew up in Delhi in India. I grew up in North Delhi, which is different than South Delhi. South Delhi is where all the expats come and posh and people have money. And, you know, you're a teenager and you're going to parties and there are pubs and clubs. I grew up in North Delhi where... It's the Punjabis and the Hindus, which is, um, they tend to be very religious, and you would find very few, if any, Christians, almost no Muslims. Really? It's a very kind of, it's just how it's developed, the area tends to cater to a very specific group of people. Gotcha. And then, because um, I know Hindu is
0: a religion, mm-hmm. but Punjabi... Right, is so that...
1: Sikhism. Okay, so... So, um, uh, I guess Punjab is a state, so... People there follow Sikhism. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: So then growing up in that environment, yeah. where I'm, and I'm going to make a big assumption here yeah. because what it sounds like, because it was so very uh, religiously controlled, mm-hmm. um, that there probably wasn't a lot of room for creativity and like <laughs> whimsical yeah.
1: ideas. Yeah. Um. Art was encouraged, music was loved, because we have Bollywood, so everyone loved to sing. We would have family gatherings, and we would play this game called Antakshari. What it means is, I'll I'll start a song with ma, and I'll stop wherever I stop. And then you pick up that sound, let's say I stop with g, then you'll start a song with g, and then we just kind of keep on going. You can have teams and compete with each other. Oh, wow, that's fun. Oh, yeah. Fun. So Arts in general is really appreciated. Right. As long as it's just something that you're doing for fun.
0: Oh, okay. So as long as it's this in addition to your real career. Yes. Yes.
1: <laughs> Which would be accounting, engineering. Um, for a girl, I think my father was progressive-ish. And uh, he was like, you're going to be an engineer. And I was like, what? I don't want to be an engineer. I loved computer science. And I loved making those games and figuring out how to make it all work. And I loved physics. But I loved English literature like the most in school. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was just like, yeah, I I always knew. And it was so funny, I remember I was in eighth grade or ninth grade. And, you know, the teacher would go around and like, what do you want to become when you grow up? So we're all doing one by one. And I'm sitting there nervous because I knew I couldn't say what I really wanted to do. So I stood up and I was like, well, I want to be in entertainment. And that could be anything. That could be anything. And that, even saying that felt risky because I had friends who were going to be engineers and doctors and accountants and CPAs and whatnot. And I didn't look. You know, like I came out of my mother's womb and I was this like Bollywood heroine <laughs> ready right. to set the <laughs> stage on fire. So it was very risky.
0: So, OK, you grew up with your mother and your father and yes. you have a sister. Yes, yes. she's younger than me. Um, what was your sister's reaction to that that want to be an entertainer? Like, were you guys kind of in it together, like both very creative mm. or did you feel like you were... Like the one sibling that was just kind of like off.
1: Yeah. So it's interesting. She's five and a half years younger than me. So when I was going through all of this, I didn't really feel like she was a partner in this or I could kind of be like, hey, I really want to do this. We never had that because of, for me, the age gap that was there. And so whenever I would want to do these things, she would see the impact it would have on my parents and then would say things to me that was like why are you doing this do you not see interestingly she is an artist as well <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny <laughs> and and you know I'm married to a white man in Amer- I live in America she married a French guy lives in France and it's been like she's just a few steps behind me and every new step that I take it's been like what are you doing don't do this and then a few years later, she ends up doing oh, the same so thing. Oh, so you're
0: a trailblazer. Like, you've you've basically opened the path for her to see what her life can look like, it sounds. Oh, I never s- it sounds thought like. of it that way.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, even uh-huh. though... I carry years- <laughs> so much guilt about it.
0: <laughs> but I mean, even <laughs> it's a couple years later, like, now it, it makes sense her being younger of, like, you know, wanting to, you know, perhaps please your parents a little mm. bit more and then seeing you as the older sister like breaking out and like doing oh. something that disturbs the status quo and then maybe feeling a like of, she has feel, permission to yeah exactly oh. feeling like she has permission to do it <sighs> i wish my sister would say that to me <laughs> <laughs> well just pretend i'm your uh, sister yes, and there then you go. <laughs> i'm saying it to you um Okay, so at what? So you were in school and you were like, I want to be an entertainer. And then what was the next step of really dipping your toe in
1: that arena? Besides, you know, your love of English literature, what mm. was... So um, in seventh grade, my parents decided that the school that I was going to, they wanted to maybe save money, maybe things were hard. So they sent me to what's like a public school here. So I, the school I went to before... It's like in India, there's government schools, which is what is public school here. Then there are public schools, which are kind of in between private schools and public schools. Okay. So they're not super expensive, but they're expensive enough. And you go and then there's like super duper private schools. So I went to this public school, which was instruction of the medium. The language of instruction was English. So okay. I studied math, science, everything in English. This new school that was the government school, the medium of instruction was Hindi. I didn't know what division was in Hindi, what multiplication was in Hindi. And I stood, like, I, I sat in the classrooms going, what is going on? And science, I had zero idea what was happening. So English was still fun. Did you know that going? In, no, Did your I, parents know going into the school that you... That maybe. It was- no, there was no conversation about it. <laughs> I just suddenly one day woke up, I was on the school bus, and I showed up at this new school with new uniform. <laughs> And a new language (laughs) to learn. I mean, I spoke Hindi at home. We spoke it. But it's different terms, technical terms, what they are in Hindi. I had no idea. So, you know, as I was adjusting to this new school, I saw these two girls, they come rushing into the classroom, and they're like, oh, my God, we're going to be in a play. And I was like, what? What is this thing? I want to be in. So I find out from them, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, the home science teacher, you know who teaches you all kinds of homemaking skills.
0: <laughs> oh, that's with home science <laughs>
1: <Yes>. <laughs> The teacher is putting up a play and they're in it, but like the whole play is already cast. So I have no chance. And I don't know what it was. I go home and I tell my father, I was like, there's this play happening. I really want to do it. But they're saying that it's all full. And my father has a big ego. So he was like, hmm, no daughter of mine is going to be left behind. So he writes this letter and is like, take this to your teacher tomorrow. So I'm like, OK. So I go and I give the teacher the letter. And she's like, hmm, OK. I don't know what she asked me to do, some improv, something. And I just remember I had to play the part of a mother or some situation she gave me. Well, I mean, this is home science. Play. <laughs> exactly. So,
0: of course you're going to be a mother.
1: <laughs> I never connected that. That's so funny. And I just remember I just remember saying something and like I just feel like lightning touched my fingers as my hand is outstretched and just like filled my body and she was so impressed that I was cast in the play. <laughs> So that was like the first time I think I did a play. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then a different teacher reached out to me to do what we call the solo acting, basically, like you have a story and you're doing all the parts and um, no, let me go back yeah. for a
0: sec because when you did that play and your parents saw it no no no
1: they didn't see oh it. they didn't it see was it. like you know within school okay. yeah you go to a different school you perform you come back and you're like yay we did a play yeah okay, okay yeah gotcha. um so then I did this solo performance it was like maybe 20 minutes long and uh this teacher worked with me and then we submitted it or went to a competition and I won and so then In the assembly the next day, I'm like called up and I'm like, oh my God, this is interesting what's (laughs) happened. And I think that was when, I don't know that I knew that I had found it, but it just felt like this was, had always been it. And so it just felt like, it's so weird to say, but it felt like coming home. It was like, yeah, of course, this is what it's supposed to be.
0: Exactly where you belonged. You were like, yeah, yeah
1: this is it. And then um, in Delhi, there are uh, theater workshops, so like a month-long summer workshop where kids go, four or five hours, you do some exercises, you put up a play, whatever. At the end, there's a performance. Parents are happy, kids are happy, move on. So I did one of that. And then after 11th grade, 12th grade is very important. You must study hard because your grades and then college admission depends on that. And in Delhi, there is an acting school called National School of Drama. And they, I found out through the newspaper, were doing a summer workshop in between my 11th and 12th grade. Oh, wow. So I was like, oh, I have to do this. Now I knew what my father was going to say. So I did research. I looked up what buses went, where it was going to be, what were the dates, how I will come back. And I was like, okay, and I need to have a pitch of like, I'm going to work hard. Don't worry. I'm going to study. I will not fail. All of that. I had it prepared. You laid it all out. I did. And he was, of course, it was like, oh, my God. Anyway, he said yes. And then he found out that one of my uncles, who lives near uh, them, his office is not too far from where the workshop used to be. So my uncle would give me a ride in the morning. Oh, that's nice. I know. And so that was, it was like now we're all high schoolers. We're doing the summer workshop and and everybody wanted to do the same thing that we were all there to do. It wasn't like my school where everybody Made was doing. someone do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And... I I don't know. It was just so much fun. You were amongst like-minded people at that time. Yes, and there were theater games and all kinds of just play all day. And I this was just great. (laughs) I didn't do any studying that summer for sure.
0: Now, at this point, going to this school, there was no one at your regular school that was into acting in theater
1: as much as you were. No one. There was not even a, let's put up a play. It was nothing. They were, like, there was music so people could go sing. Um, I co- helped choreograph some dances, but there was no theater. There was no acting. It just was not. I don't think I even had told my best friend, who's actually coming to L.A. tomorrow. <laughs> I don't think I had even told her what I wanted to be. It was not something. I remember the first time I said it. There's an organization called McKay. And they do a month-long, kind of like an apprenticeship program. So you apply, and if your field of study in the arts is painting, they'll find a really well-known painter, and you go live with that painter for a month. that's
0: amazing. I
1: know. And then you learn. All day long, you learn. And so I applied, and I went in for the interview. And they said, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to be an actor? And that was the first time I was actually having a conversation about this thing that I wanted to do. And I just sat there and cried. I had no idea how to articulate something that I'd always felt home with, but to, like, make a case about why. Right. And it probably
0: feels like you have to make a case instead of just saying, because I love it. I mean, really. Right. It didn't feel enough. That's the reason. Because I grew
1: up in a system where... If you're doing something different, you better have a really good reason, and you better not fail, and you better know what you're doing, because otherwise, then you better listen to us.
0: Right. Yeah, you have to You have to come up with,
1: like, the most exceptional reason. Otherwise, you can't do it. No. I mean, otherwise, you're setting yourself up for failure, because the proven track is you become a CPA a doctor, engineer, and then you have a life, you make money, and all of that. Life goes great. But if you're an artist... <laughs> You're screwed. <laughs> so I remember just crying there and I left and I felt like I had failed myself tremendously. Here was an opportunity and just nothing. And as I was putting my shoes on and just crying and leaving, one of them came out, one of the panelists, and was like, don't worry, it's going to be okay. And I was like, whatever. I don't like, I, I didn't know what that meant. Then a few weeks later, we get a phone call that I've been accepted to study with this um, a classical art form, theatrical art form in India, in southern part of India. And my father was like, no, you cannot go. No. Because it was far away. They didn't know who it was. How will you go? All the logistics. Right. All the practicality came in. And I... It was so funny because I, unlike before, I couldn't come up with a bus schedule. I couldn't come up with those things. Yeah, because you
0: didn't know anything about that, that part of Delhi.
1: I didn't. It was in a, like, Delhi is in the north. And this was a small village in the south oh, part, so the part of the southern part of India. Oh, definitely didn't know anything Nothing. It. I'd never lived away from my parents. And so I had no choice but to just be like, oh, okay, this is not going to happen. And so that was really, that's interesting. I never consider, I never thought about that particular interview as the first time I was asked to articulate what it was that I wanted to do and why.
0: It's so interesting because as a child, I feel like children, they know what they know. I mean, Mm. even as young adults, like, I mean, as young adults, we've all been idiots. But when it comes to like what you feel in your heart, Mm -hmm. uh, like you just know it. And it's so hard at that age, I feel like to articulate it other than I love it. I want it. I feel it. It's there in me. Yes. It's always been there. Yeah, you know we don't know how to say that because a lot of times, especially in certain cultures, that feels cheesy. Yes, it feels uh, really intimate to like tell someone that to mm. just say straight up, like it's this not is... valued either. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's fl- it's whimsical, mm, yeah. and you don't know what you're talking about because you're a kid. Yeah. Yeah, you're just, you're just, you just want to be famous. You just, you know, you just have all these dreams, but reality is harder than that. And you don't know anything. I was like,
0: okay. (laughs) Okay, so you weren't able to go. Mm -hmm. What happened next?
1: You know, school. And then I applied to... At this uh, point, how old were you? 18, 17, 18. And so I applied to college. I applied to psychology philosophy and English literature. I got into English literature, and which was fine. The college I went to had a really strong, we call like a drama club. And so day two, I was in there, and I was like, year three, I was the president of the drama club. <laughs> I mean, it was like, yes, we had this huge auditorium. It was falling apart in places, but it was our auditorium. We could put up plays. We had lights. We, had, I mean, it was just like, <gasps> You know, like if today someone gives you a camera and some lights and some everything and just like, just go make a movie. do it. It was like, oh my God, we just have all this. We can put up a play. We find a play. We do it. There's no teacher telling us you're not doing it, right? It's just, I mean, just imagine there's no critic. You just do it. Right. Just the doing of it. It was great. And then at the same time, my father is very interesting because on one hand, he had very strong objections to me doing it. But on the other, he would encourage it. And I haven't had a conversation with him about this because I think it's loaded. And um, so he knew somebody who was kind of in the Delhi theater scene. And through that guy, he found out about this little theater group where, you know, young actors go and do plays. So I, my father was like, yeah, go, go check it out. So I was like, oh, okay. So I go and I'm like, great, this is free. I just get to do plays and learn. So during my undergrad, my day would start at 8 a.m. I would go to college. Whatever one or two classes I had, I would do. Then I would spend my day at the drama club. And then at 3 o'clock, I'll take the bus to go to Monday House, which is where all the theater scene is. And I would be in rehearsal from like 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. And then I'll go home. Oh, wow. It was great. (laughs) I mean, it was just like I never was – I mean, of course, I was young, so I was never tired. But it just was like everything I could have asked for, a fulfilling and a lot of learning and doing. And, you know, when you're young, there's challenges. But it was – it just kind of worked out that way. So you spent at that
0: school four years? Three.
1: Three. Yeah, undergrad degrees, three years in India.
0: Oh, wow. I wish
1: (laughs) – No, but it it doesn't work so well when I have to come here because they want four years of undergrad. So then I have to have a different, another, like a master's degree to be able to do a master's here.
0: Wait, 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 wait. So you
1: have to get a master's degree there. Because then I have four, well, then then I'll have five years of however the credits transfer.
0: Because three years is not enough
1: to be counted as an undergrad degree here. Because here it's four years.
0: Okay, so then you... After undergrad, you got your master's in India. No,
1: in in Singapore. In Singapore.
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness, I didn't see that coming. Okay, so how did you end up in Singapore?
1: Yes, very interesting. Was it the only
0: school you applied for
1: there? Yes, but it was... So after I finished my undergrad, I was like, well, this is what I want to do. So I was going to apply to National School of Drama to study acting, of course. At the same time, my father was like... Here's the application for Indian Institute of Technology. You're going to b- sit at the entrance exam for engineering. And I was like, I was looking at him like, do you not know me? <laughs> like, What is happening? Have you
0: not paying, been paying what? attention
1: in the past three years? And so I'm like, okay. So I tell myself like, okay, fine, I'll study and like at least do the exam. Of course, I don't study. The exam is next day. And he's at work and I call him and I'm like, I don't think I can go. I mean, I haven't studied. And he just, you know, like, "Mm." and he hung up. Like, I didn't feel bad because there was just no way I was going to do anything at the entrance exam. So what did your mom think at that point? You know, it's such a patriarchal society. And my father is such a looming presence in the household. My mom and what she wanted me to do, I never really knew. I never asked. It never came up. She never... Expressed. Um, so I don't know if she, internally she just always wanted to be supportive of whatever I was doing, or she didn't feel like she had the space, or she felt like maybe what my father is asking me to do makes sense and I should listen. Right. I don't know. She was just always busy doing household things in her job. Um, so it's interesting that for me, she was not like someone, she was not a female role model in that sense. And no older woman in my family actually was. So I am the eldest of eight cousins. I have three other cousins that are older than me, but they're like significantly older. And they very typical kind of like 20s, get married, have kids. Oh, I have only two girls. I'm going to have another kid because I want a boy. Um, So I was the eldest of uh, us cousins. And I have to tell you this, this is where I think the origin of like what, when I got the worm, the acting worm. So my youngest aunt, my uh, father's sister, was unmarried when I was little and she used to live with us. And uh, she was in college when I was five or six. And she would take me to her college and to the cafeteria, to the canteen. And she'd be like, come have this hot dog. And I used to love hot... I mean, I don't know. I was like, oh my God, hot dog. Because we were a vegetarian family. I didn't even know what was in the hot dog. I just loved that this... My aunt would take me and we would go and have hot
0: dog. It was your thing. It was the thing you guys did
1: together. And uh, she was also kind of my play buddy. Like we would dance, to music and, you know, just... She was fun. And then she did a play when she was in her undergrad... And she played a mother-in-law. I was six years old. I don't know what anyone was thinking, taking me to go see this play,
0: (laughs) but I was there.
1: They were thinking we don't have babies. (laughs) (laughs) She won't know anything. Just take her. It's just a kid. And I I still remember my aunt playing this very mean, awful mother-in-law. And like she had, you know, whitened her hair and everything. And then the play ends and I went back backstage to see her and she is sobbing. And I just was like, what happened? And it's been years after that I've been able to come back to this memory and go, ah, that was the magic for me. The someone I know was able to do this where they almost didn't seem like themselves. But then this came out of them, this like mean whatever, came out of them. And they themselves were so kind of like, oh my God, this is in me? And they were sobbing. I just was like, what is this? You know, no one else in my family I had seen do something like that. And so it's been, it's taken a while for me to recognize that that was probably when something really clicked for me. And I, you know, just kind of dormant and come up and down uh, throughout my childhood. You
0: saw a really incredible moment at that time because you saw which a lot of people um you know who watch actors really don't get to see is Mm. that moment of enveloping or becoming this character so much to the point where you are them and they are you
1: Mm. and
0: the but the after of that of how it stays with you and you that moment where now you're not the character anymore. You're yeah. you, but that part is still in you. Yes. yes, And it's like, oh, you're just trying to like release it because mm. it's just that you know that's not you, but you have to let it go. But yes. it's it's a that's a tr- it's a transition out of the oh, character. Oh, mm, Do you know mm, what I mean? It's mm, so mm, interesting. Mm. Like especially to see that as a as a child, yeah. and to to really register what that was because you knew her so well.
1: Yeah, I get
0: You are very smart. <laughs> I, I I try. I, you know, I have my moments,
1: and it's so funny because she she's the one who has had the deepest impact on me as a woman and who inspired me. Yeah. Without knowing to be an artist.
0: Okay. So to get back, we got off track. A yes. Bit. Sorry. Sorry.
1: <laughs> no, it's my fault. But to get back on track. um I applied to National School of Drama. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Right. Sorry. For acting. And I was like, I'm gonna get in. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently there's like three rounds of um, auditions for it. The first round I go through, I get in. And now you have to go stay on campus for three days. And there's like day-long exercises, workshops, and the teachers are watching you. And you're Ooh. like, all right. I remember the last exercise was, you. we were taken to a railway station, a train station, and we were to observe people and find one person to observe and then basically be them in this presentation. And I don't know why I remember someone saying, don't pick a homeless person. <laughs> And of course, what do I do? I pick a homeless person. <laughs> and I, I just was so fascinated by her. I couldn't not. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know they won't, know it's not wise, but I, who does wise things when it's me? So I was like, oh, I'm gonna do her. <laughs> and I was so excited. I was all like homelessy, like she was in oh. my presentation. I didn't get into NSD. <laughs> But, well, because you couldn't listen to the directions. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't pick a homeless person. No, but it wasn't the teacher saying it. It was like this wisdom that was passed on through however. Oh, because perhaps someone else did it. And they were yeah, like, yeah, like from stories from before. And so I didn't get in. And it was so funny. I wasn't sad at all. Um, I was happy for my friends who got in. And I now I think back about it, about that. And I wonder if it was because... I was true to myself. I did everything with joy and fun and everything that I could. And I picked the person that I want. I was fascinated by. I don't care about the rules of like, don't do this so you get admitted. I picked the person who fascinated me the most. So I didn't get in. And now I'm out of college, right? So what am I gonna do? So my father's like, well, fine, if you wanna do this, apply to these master's programs. Um, like it's called communication degrees. So, you know, entertainment. So now you study communication, whatever that means. So maybe you become a journalist or like a production person or whatever. I apply and I get nowhere. Nowhere do I get admission. At like How five, many six, places did you apply? Five or six places all over the country. And so now my father's like, oh, she's good for nothing. What is she going to do? And she wants to do this. This is ridiculous. She should have sat for that entrance exam to the engineering college. <laughs> And we kind of, none of us knew what to do. So I spent that one year after that. For a long time, I've thought of that period as a depression period in my life. Um, We used to have cable TV and star movies would show movies from 9 a.m., 11, 1, 3, 5 or 2 hours. My father would leave by 8.30. 9 o'clock, I would sit in front of the TV and I was there till 5 (laughs) p.m. My mom would in the meantime leave, come back from work. My sister would come back. I couldn't care. I was just watching TV all day long. And my father would give me tasks to do, like, oh, go pay this electricity bill. It would still be on top of the fridge. I didn't do anything about it. And he was concerned, like, what is going to happen to this woman? Like, what's her future? And at this time, I was still going to rehearsal with Act One in Mundy House. And that had its own kind of rocky parts to it, because the guy who ran it believed in breaking you down and building you up. Yes, yes. And I, you know, the 18 year old me was like, yes, you are God. He literally would say, I am a God. I'm not kidding. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, well, of course you will show me the way. So at this time, a friend of mine from undergrad told me about National University of Singapore, and they have a master's degree in theater. And he was like, why don't you apply? And I was like, Why? It's not something I want to do. And he's like, oh, here's the information. Just look it up. So I look up, and it's not like a take classes kind of thing. You write a dissertation. It's like a master's degree, it's like a PhD, but at a master's level. And so I was like, oh. And I'm a bit brainy too, and I studied English literature, so I was like, Oh all these plays that I do I have this idea of adaptation and what is cultural adaptation like doing Romeo and Juliet in Delhi in the setting and what does that do kind of like what do we learn about the culture yeah. the target culture and the source culture I got all like brainy with that and I wrote a proposal and then they said we would like to interview you and I was like oh shit this is not supposed to happen
0: <laughs> the- No, I don't wanna cry
1: again. (laughs) So my I tell my father, I'm like, I'm not going for this interview. I just did this for fun. This is not something I wanna do. He's I'm sure panicking that nothing's working out in my life. So he's like, just go to the interview. You don't have to do anything. Just don't worry about it. Just go. So I was like, fine. So I go to the interview and they ask me questions and I'm talking about this, this, this. I get accepted on scholarship to go to Singapore and do this two years master's degree. Oh wow. And I'm like, oh my God, this was not supposed to happen. What is happening? I want to go to Bombay and be in Bollywood. What is this <laughs> I'm shit? I'm going in the opposite direction. <laughs> totally. So I'm thinking, this, I'm not going. There's no way I'm going. My father can say what he wants now. This is another thing that I have never talked with my father about. I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast.
0: I have a feeling he probably won't unless you give it to him this episode.
1: So I think he called up the guy who ran Act One, because I used to listen to that guy, whatever he would say, and basically told him, listen, you need to tell her that this is what she needs to do. Because my father said to me, yes, yes, why don't you ask NK what he thinks? And here's the brochure of the thing and show him and see what he thinks. I'm like, oh, okay, this is it. I'm going to find out it's going to be here or there. I go and I'm like, NK, ah, he's like, yeah, you should go. And I had a moment of like, what? Because that was not what I expected. But my brainwashing was so powerful because he was God. If he saw this as my path, then that was my path. Right. And I was like, what? Oh, okay. <laughs> Boom! I was now going to Singapore. But
0: what was the? Because you were so excited when you wrote the proposal and all of that. What was? What was the reason why you kind of backpedaled after they were like? Was it that fear of like, oh, it like living up to what you had written? Was no it a bit of
1: fear. No, it just was a fun exercise. Like you know, <laughs> you write paper. And... You just literally expected nothing to come from. No. It. <laughs> I was like, this is interesting. I'm I'm thinking about all these adaptations and how I would do them. It was just daydreaming about the idea. Not that I would actually have to do anything about it. (laughs) I I wanted to go to Bombay. And so I was at this point 21. And I had already acted in a feature film in Delhi and done some other work as well. And um, my father's younger brother, he, you know, very traditional thinking, He had said to me when I was in my second year of undergrad, he was like, yeah, just finish your degree and we'll set you up and get you married off. And I was like, try it. I will run away. And don't look at my father because I know he'll support me. (laughs) And I was just like, I was like, that is not going to happen to me because I've seen what happens when you guys do that. So when it was time for me to go to Singapore, I was 21, not married, had never lived away from home in a family where no woman unmarried woman had gone away from home two of my aunts they were interested in music wanted to go study in a different city in India they were not allowed to go because you're not married and world is you know whatever all these reasons and I would give credit to my father he he you know pushed me to do it and I was like I don't want to go what if I it's, I hate it and all of that he's like it's fine you know you have your return ticket just come back Now I show up, I don't know anyone in Singapore. I have never traveled, I had traveled to Calcutta, which is another city in India, by myself once, because I was helping uh, my father's friend research a book. And that was already in itself like, oh my God, I'm single, I'm young, I'm traveling on the train by myself, I've never been to Calcutta. And I'm like, I booked a hotel. It was all just very like, oh my God, what's (laughs) happening? And then going to Singapore when I, I had no contact,
0: and how far away was Singapore from where you
1: Singapore live? is like five hours flight. Um, so if this is India, Singapore is here, like Southeast Asia. Okay. And um, So yeah,
0: with a five-hour flight, that's pretty far. It's yeah. far.
1: It was basically like going to space. I didn't know anyone. All I had was the address. I took a cab from the airport, and I landed at the administration office of the university. And... Um, They're like, oh, yes, here's paperwork, sign it. And the signing of the paperwork was when I realized I am stuck here for two years. Even if I don't like it, I can't go back because they paid you a monthly stipend and it started right away. Either I had to leave right then or if I took that money, I had to then repay all that money if I didn't finish my degree. And I knew there's no way my parents have the money to repay so I remember as I was signing this paper, I was like, ah, I'm stuck. Like it or not, this is where I'm going to have to be and finish this degree because I can't afford not to. And that started a whole new chapter. So how was school? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. My professor that was assigned to me was this Canadian guy. I had such a crush on him. Oh, my God. Like, he made me want to do The work.
0: (laughs) You're like, yes, whatever. Can I be be in a
1: scene with you? (laughs) No, so the, the work was like, he was like, look, I know actors tend to not be very, you know, bookish and whatnot, but I really want to prove that actors can be. And so he really respected me, but also encouraged me to do this that I wanted to do. And he got me, like he understood what I was trying to do and the creative aspect of the thesis I wanted to write. So I would actually go to the library and pick up books and study. Two months later, I he calls me into his office and he's like, um, I'm leaving. I'm going back to can- Canada. No. And I was like, OK. And then I go to the bathroom and I'm sobbing in the bathroom because, A, I had a crush on him. And, B, I was like, he understood me. Yeah. Now what am I going to do? And they assigned me Dr. Yang, who is like academic as academic can be. And you write like, you know, those teachers that are like, you write your thesis like this. You don't just make up how you write it. And this is the format you must follow. And I had such a hard time. And when she came along, I was like, I could care less about this thesis. But I knew I had to do it. The, the good thing that, that I've been able to do, no matter where I am, is create work. So I made sure that my thesis was not, was not just like a bookish write-down thesis. I directed a production of Romeo and Juliet in Singapore. And I adapted it to Singaporean culture. So we didn't really use Shakespearean language, but Singapore has dialects. And there's Singaporean, which is like a very interesting version of English. And then there's other dialects there, like there's Malaysians there, there's Tamil Indians there. Like it's just, it's a whole, (laughs) it's a whole thing. And I had such a fun time directing that um, production of Romeo and Juliet. I got to work with local actors. I found them. I was living in this hostel and uh, someone else on the different floor was like, I'll help you produce it. So she put out like postcards and we had people. I mean, it was just like it was happening. I was directing this Romeo and Juliet. And I was like, "Okay, if I'm not acting, at least I'm creating. And then slowly, you know, I have, I'm restless when it comes to uh, creating. I wrote letters to different theater companies when I got there. Like, hey, this is where I'm coming from. This is what I've done. Here's my resume. And I would love to work with you. And so this company called, uh, what was it called? Third Act? Act Three. So back in Delhi, I was in Act One. Now it's Act Three. (laughs) And it was a children's theater company. And um, I just got to work you know, the sound for them and other different things and help out with production and then slowly started finding other theater companies that I could act with. So I was I started acting in local theater and it was interesting for me to recognize that I was a minority and that was the first time I understood what it was like to be a minority because in India, you know, there's, my skin color is an issue, my features are an issue, but at least I'm still part of the majority. Right. Singapore theater, majority of it is catered for Chinese speaking audience. And so a lot of the actors are Chinese Singaporeans. And so the Malay actors are trying to get in. And and here I was, I didn't know any of it. And I was like, why can't I? And I was like, oh, wait, okay. So then I got into you know theater pieces that didn't require for me to be a specific thing. And um, then I uh, met someone else, directed a different show, a different play for them and did some television. And it was just, (laughs) I was doing everything else but working on my thesis. (laughs) I mean, I met people from all over the world that I never would have met, would have known. I was like, oh, the world. Like, I don't think I understood. My, my, My world in Delhi was so closeted. I went to a school where every family was Hindu. It wasn't until I was in college, in undergrad, that I had one Muslim friend and one Christian friend and one friend who I later learned was gay, but at the time I didn't even understand what being gay was. So when I go to Singapore, it's like gay actors on stage and there's all of this people from different cultures. I'm meeting Germans. There's a Swedish guy. I'm all like, ooh, let's hang out. And so what if your girlfriend's coming? I don't care. You know, like, <laughs> it was, it was, there's a lot that happened there that if my family <laughs> were it, to find out. It sounds like it, <laughs>
0: wink, wink.
1: I mean, we're as young adults,
0: we've all had that phase of like, you know, I think it's, it's, it's it sounds like it was definitely a bigger phase for you because now you're being um,
1: dropped in a different culture. Completely. Um but, but freeing, so yeah. freeing, because I didn't know what to expect. And because I didn't know, I just did whatever felt right. And that is, so in, that, that is so crucial as an artist, because we get, whether we realize or not, we get bogged down by what we are expected to do. And when, you, when there is no roadmap, it's scary, but also exciting. And so through all the different theater that I did, I met uh, Robert Drafin, who um, is from Australia, who had come to do a workshop, and I just appreciated the work he was doing. And um, you know, I was like, "Hey, can I take you out to Indian lunch and we'll talk?" And then so we became friends. And I would babysit for his son. And and then uh, this friend of mine, because he was gonna study like PhD in chemistry or something, and he's like, "What are you gonna do now that you've finished? You're you're almost done." And I was like, oh, I never thought about it because I was having so much fun. <laughs> and I thought, well, acting is what I want to do, so I should study it. So then I applied to two schools in the U.K. and three or four in the U.S. I got into UC Davis, New School, UT Austin, and also Goldsmith but no one was giving me scholarship money. <laughs> so, UT Austin I emailed them back. I emailed them all back. UT Austin was the only one that was like, "Fine, well we can do this. We can do in-state tuition. We can, you know." So I was like, "Oh, okay." And so that's how I ended up in Austin, Texas.
0: Wow. Okay. So you go from Delhi to Singapore and now Singapore to Texas. Yes. <laughs>
1: I used to get that question a lot. And I, so this is how ignorant I was. I didn't know what black people were. I didn't know what Jewish people were. To me, America was white. To me, American woman was this emancipated, tall, bell-bottom wearing woman who was so independent, no man could meet her metal.
0: Well, I don't think that that's ignorant. I think that a lot of people coming from different places, that's that's what you're shown yes. of America. Yes. Yes. You know, and so that's what you think. Yeah. Like yeah. that's what you're shown. If all you're shown is like, uh like I know a lot of people that have said that their first intro to Texas in particular was mm. the soap opera Dallas. <laughs> so I mean if that's what you, if that's yeah. your baseline for thinking what Texas is like, then you know, you know, there's a bunch of like big breasted blonde haired women and guys wearing cowboy hats all over the place. Granted there are tons <laughs> of people wearing cowboy hats. <laughs> but you know, like that's, yeah. you know, wearing, you know, driving around cars with horns on the front. Yes. And, you know, they all live in like on ranches. Yeah. So yeah, I mean you know you you know what you see. Okay, yeah. so you get accepted to UT Austin, you show up. hmm Was that another like, oh, crap, like I'm hit with another culture shock?
1: For sure. So before I came, I looked up the Indian Students Association. And I was like, hi, I'm coming. So they sent this guy to pick me up at the airport. I didn't know what he looked like. He didn't know what I looked like. (laughs) And somehow we were going to find out, find each other out. And I landed at night. And we're, you know, he's driving me. And this other woman, also from India, had agreed to host me for a couple of days until I can find my place. And now my suitcase of clothes didn't arrive with me. So I had to borrow her clothes the next day to go to campus and register. And I remember it all worked out. You know, I found a a room to share with someone and, you know, people helped each other. And I remember the day it was supposed to be like the first meeting of all the, all of us MFA actors and walking to the theater department. And I remember stopping and going, what am I doing? I should turn back. Like, what am I doing? Do I know what I'm doing? I literally, I, was, I turned back and then I was like, no, 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 I can't turn back. This is what I wanted. And it just was, I don't know what that moment was. And maybe it was what you said earlier, this idea that to live up to and live into this thing that you've dreamed of. But when it's happening, yeah, you're you like, a oh. <laughs> right. And uh, anyway, obviously I went and uh, it, was, it was great. It was, we were a great, interesting mix of people. I was the only one that was not uh, uh, American, but a very diverse group of people.
0: Did your parents ever visit you during that time? Did they ever come? Because I'm assuming they'd never been, at that point, had never been to the States.
1: No. So the way the visa works at that time to come to the U.S. was I was getting a student visa. And the guy at the embassy in Delhi, what he did was he gave me a three-year visa So I could stay here for three days, three years, but I could only travel for the first two years. After that, the travel part of my visa was not valid. I didn't know this until later. So I came and my best friend Seema, who's coming tomorrow, she was getting married. So I went back, attended her wedding, came back. Oh, my MA degree in Singapore, when I left Singapore... Because it's a thesis, your thesis has to go to external examiners who read it and approve it. So I got admission, it was a conditional admission, that by the end of my first year at UT, I would have the other degree, and so we'll be fine. The first year is coming to an end, I don't have my degree from Singapore, and I get a letter from UT saying, sorry, you gotta go back. No. So... I'm like, no, 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 you can't. So I'm writing letters to the dean, to the head of the department, to anyone who would listen to me and be like, please let me stay. I cannot control how much time they're taking. This shouldn't jeopardize my education. They were like, no, rules are rules. You don't have your degree, you gotta go. So that summer, I mean, I kind of stayed as long as I could, and then second year was starting, and It was weird because I bid farewell to my classmates because I didn't know if I was going to be able to come back. And also at this point, I was 26 and I knew what going back was going to be like. I'm already getting late for marriage. What am I doing with my life? I don't make money. I don't have my master's degree. So I go back and I've put on weight and it's just like a mess everything is a mess my I run on my degree then finally they send me notes and they want me to rework some stuff and I'm just like ah oh. and in the meantime I missed the semester where they study Shakespeare from Fran Dorn who's like this amazing African American actor head of our department who's known for doing classical theater work and I missed that semester so I'm in Delhi and I'm working on my thesis trying to lose weight <laughs> 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 my parents see me at the airport and they're like, oh no, what's happened? It How was... much weight did you gain? I'll have to find photos. But I mean, <laughs> enough that it was all like fluffy. Freshman 15. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah kind of like kinda that. Like
0: the freshman, okay. Kind of like that. 15.
1: Also that the summer b- um, before I couldn't go, before the second year, I was waiting tables at this um, Middle Eastern restaurant. And so... I mean, the food is so
0: good. I mean, between the hummus and the <laughs> I <mean>, pita <peanut>
1: bread. <laughs> it was crazy. And so finally, towards the end of that year, I did work, finished my thesis, had my degree, contacted who I had to, I had to contact, and I was able to come back middle of second year to continue my degree. And uh, that's when I met my husband.
0: Was he in the, the master's program He as well? was
1: studying playwriting. Okay. So it was the same department. And when I by the time I'd come back, my best friend, great friend from school, he and I had gotten in touch and, you know, we had made a pact, like, if you're not married by this year, I don't, we'll just get married. And so now he's in his late 20s. I'm in my late 20s. We're old by Indian standards for getting married. So we had this moment and we're like, OK, yeah, maybe we'll just, this is what it's going to be. And he kissed me, and I was like, oh, my God, this is changing. So we're all like, ooh. Oh, my God. And in the meantime, Seema, we don't tell her anything because we're like a a group of three. So I come back, and I'm like, I need to focus on my studies and no more man boys. It's all distraction. I need to study and go back because, you know, I have a plan. And that's the semester I meet Larry. (laughs) And... I never went back.
0: (laughs) So, wait a minute. Is that friend, is he married? Yes, he's (laughs) married to someone
1: else. And we never talked about it. (laughs) Just had this moment of, like, trying it out. Yeah. And that was it. It just, I mean, you know, he found out I was dating. And I don't know. And his sister was getting married at the time. And he was busy. It's just, we've never talked about it. And now it's too late. He has kids. I have kids. It's in the past. It's It's in the past. Well, and
0: on this podcast.
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> so okay meeting larry mm-hmm. did it well you know what i was gonna i was gonna ask a stupid question now i'm still gonna ask it please ask i was going to ask i don't want you to answer it now but i was going to ask was it weird to find yourself in love with a white guy but then i thought about the story you were telling me how you're in love with a canadian guy and then yeah. the, the teacher and then, yeah so you were you had already kind of had an attraction for any for
1: people. Yes, different, different. than my culture. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, In fact, better if they're not Indian, because I know what Indian man is like. Right. So it was, do
0: you think a part of you, I mean, besides your friend and you guys trying it right, out. Right, right. Do you think that there might have been a part of you that kind of gravitated towards that because like you said, you knew what the mm. expectations were in Indian culture or was it kind of a, I'm dropping a different culture. I just want to be who I am and just try
1: and, and mm. live my life. I don't think it was a conscious decision. Okay. Um, it just happened. And I have never been someone who noticed the external differences first. And in fact, I had to learn to do that. So for me, he was just quirky and nerdy and like, I was like, why isn't he asking me out? And so I asked him out (laughs) because I was like, I was in my Shakespeare class sitting there not listening to the teacher and thinking about him. And I was like, this needs to end. I'm a serious student now. So I asked him out with the hopes that, you know, I'll talk to him and I'll get over it because it's just like when you stay away from something, you deprive yourself something, then you want it more. So we went to this uh, fur place, and I remember he talked so much about coffee. He used to be a barista and blah, blah. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, why is he talking about coffee so much? (laughs) And then he drops me back to the theater department because I had rehearsal. And then he goes, hey, this was fun. Let's do this again. And I was like, yeah, let's do it again. And that was it. And I don't, I mean, I don't know that I thought I would get married or marry him, That was never something that was in my mind. But the first Christmas we were together, he invited me to his parents' house in Illinois for Christmas. So all my friends are like, oh, this is serious. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know this whole thing of like, if you're invited to Christmas, this is a big deal. So I'm like, why? And then they tell me and then now, I'm like, oh my God, this is really big. What's going to happen? And so I'm... It was so expectant of something happening. And we go and, you know, I meet his parents. I mean, I'd met his mother before. I see his, uh, meet his father, his brother. Then we go to his grandmother's house. Oh, you met the grandmother. I know. So I'm thinking (laughs) something's going to happen. At this point, I'm not even sure if I want it to happen. But because my friends had talked so much about it, I just wanted it to happen so we could all be right. Yeah. (laughs) And so we're in this hotel room in Dayton, Ohio like awful snow everything and i'm like we're going to go back soon and he, nothing has happened so i ask him i'm like hey so why did you invite me to christmas with your family and he was like well i wanted you to see a different part of the country and i was like w- what <laughs> and he was like yeah I was so mad. Oh, my God. I'd be so pissed, too. I went into the shower, and I'm, like, shower on, crying, total, like, movie moment. And I'm, like, this was a mistake. What? I should have studied. Like, I planned to study. I got... This is all crap. And even now, I tease him, and he hates it. (laughs) Anyway, I mean, we kind of, like, I was, like, okay, I guess I stuck around, and... Things worked out. But my, my parents hadn't met him when he and I got married. Oh, they didn't? Because I couldn't go back because of my visa. And what happens is when you come to study in the U.S., after you finish your degree, you get one more year, which is called optional practical training period, which means you look for a job and get some training. And hopefully someone will give you a job and sponsor your work visa. And if that doesn't happen, then you go back. So I finished my degree. I moved to New York. And I... You know, did everything. I had an agent working, but I didn't have anyone who would sponsor my O1 visa, which is the artist's visa. And I did apply. I got a lawyer. I applied. And they sent me a letter saying, oh, this is great, but we would like to see if you have any Emmys and Oscars. And I was like, who do you think I am? <laughs> You're like, if I had, you would have you would have know. me. <laughs> you know, but these are like accountant people who are dealing with all that stuff. They don't know. And so I was like, well either we get married or I go home. And he was like, "Oh, you know, I mean, go home, it's fine and we'll we'll make it work." And I was like, "No, you don't understand. <laughs> yeah. I am at this point 28 years old. If I go home, you're about to get snatched up." <laughs> I you mean, like, shift off to like a marriage as soon as you get. I off will the airplane. be. I will be. I mean, panic will ensue. Oh my God, she's twenty eight. Let's find the divorced guy. Let's find the widower who, you know, th- th- that's that's what I would have expected. And there's no way he would have come. like, I know. it doesn't work. the The way the visa situation is, I wouldn't have been able to come back. And so I was like, this is it. now or never. So you decide. And he was like. Okay, I guess we can get married. (laughs) So we called his parents and um, it was literally within a span of 10 days. And then I was like, well, you have to call my father and ask for my hand. Because, I mean, they've never met you. They've never spoken with you on the phone. No one in my family has married anyone other than Hindu. Here I am marrying a non-Indian non-Hindu don't know what religion he is (laughs) right doesn't even practice anything they've never met him they don't know what the family's like it's just like I don't know so like okay I mean they knew I was seeing him so then he calls and he's like hello Mr. Gupta this is Larry and um, I'd already told my father what was gonna happen and he's like yeah I would like to I don't know what he said. (laughs) He was so nervous. (laughs) And my father's like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's how he said it? Yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's fine. Yes, sure. Some, you know, some like one five-word sentence. And then we're like, okay. And so coming back to what you had asked me earlier about my sister. My sister lived with my parents at this time when this happened. And, you know, people have asked me since then, like, was there drama? And I'm like, no, I mean, I guess there there was no drama. We got married. It wasn't until years later that I found out from my sister that there was much drama. Oh. My mother was deeply upset. I was her eldest daughter. She was going to do Present the whole wedding yeah. and the whole thing. Who was I getting married to? She had never met an American. And people in India had a very negative attitude toward Americans that they're brash and this and that and, you know, whatever. Like, it, so it was like, what is she doing? Does she know what she's doing? And um, apparently she cried a lot and cursed on my father for sending me away in the first place. And now she's never coming back. And so then my my sister took that to heart and was like, I'm only going to marry an Indian man. I'm only going to live in India. And I'm going to make these other choices that my sister is fool enough not to make. And now my parents are, you know, they're sad. Um, She didn't want to disappoint them.
0: Like I had disappointed them. Like you you had apparently (laughs) done.
1: So Larry and I get married. Um, His parents come and some of our friends in New York, we go to city hall, we get married. And, um, you know, we Skype with my parents that morning. Uh, my dear friend Farah, who is from Bombay, we had become friends. So she comes and she does a few Indian rituals. And uh, it was kind of a very makeshift uh, a wedding day. But it was fun. It was small. Um, and then, this. so this was um, 2005, 2006, we did a ceremony, wedding ceremony in Illinois, where his parents live. So they did a wedding thing for their people that they knew. And that's when we applied for visa for my parents and my sister to come to be at the wedding. Oh, right. At this point I hadn't seen them in three years. And so it and now they were gonna see me and I was a married woman, married to this white man. They've never come to America. They're landing in Chicago, Illinois. And I greet them with these three white people with me. (laughs) And they're like, hello. (laughs) And I mean, I can only imagine how weird it was for them. We go to this small town called Normal Bloomington in Illinois. And they're in this like hotel. And they're meeting my husband for the first time.
0: In a hotel, in, in a Illinois, hotel. Yeah. in normal.
1: In, a nor- in normal Illinois. And they can't understand my husband them. because he has this American accent, speaks fast, and they're just like politely nodding their heads because they don't know what is happening. And I, for the first time, understand what I've done. I have mushed together two very, very distinct cultures. Like I've bombarded them and now i am the the glue that's going to have to keep it together and handle and so in the last i would say 15 years the learning i've had is that space of in between of understanding both cultures but them not understanding each other and expecting me to solve for mm. and it's 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 an awful <laughs> i mean it's it's so awful it's lonely No one truly understands it and everyone has their expectations of me. And there have been times when I'm just like, I just want to run away and just leave you all in this mess. And hopefully you'll figure it out because I can't deal. Um, What's the hardest in, in that, mm -hmm.
0: um, in that world of having to be the, be the go between. Yes. What has so far in the, 15 years you guys mm-hmm. have been married at this point. What what is uh, what was, has been the hardest challenge?
1: Um, navigating the cultural differences that are very surprising. Indian families are very, you know, when you go to an Indian restaurant, typically it's communal eating. You order and then you all take from the same dish. In America, when you go to eat, I get my dish, you get your dish, we eat our dishes, right? And so... I still tease Larry about it. He's going to hate it that I'm sharing this. <laughs> but we go to France. All of us meet. And my sister at this point is married to my brother-in-law. And we go to the Mediterranean, you know, beachside. We're all in this Airbnb. And um, food is always an interesting issue because they're vegetarian. They don't understand and or like all this Western food. They don't understand it. Or even if they eat it, they're just like, there's no satisfaction and they just, they don't know what they're eating. So we go to the market and we're trying to figure out what food we're going to get. So of course, my parents are thinking, let's get this, everyone can eat it. Let's get this, everyone can eat it. Larry, in the meantime, is like, I'm going to eat pizza. I'm like, okay, go get pizza. So now we all bring our food. We are back at the Airbnb. (laughs) Larry's eating his pizza. (laughs) And we're all sharing food. Now for me, it's like... Did he get a
0: slice of pizza? No. Or like a a a whole whole pizza?
1: Okay. (laughs) try to just set the stage (laughs) here for a sec. In the meantime, like we got some veggie soup or like vegetarian food, hard to find. So we're making do. And my mom says to me in Hindi, I want some pizza too. To me. And I'm like, well, why don't you ask him? And she's like... In, this is all happening in Hindi. And she's like, well, he got it for himself. I mean, who does that? So maybe you should ask, but I would like a piece of pizza. And I'm like, okay. So I'm like, Larry, um, my mom would like a piece of pizza. And he looks at me and goes, I haven't had pizza in like 10 days. We've been away. And I really just wanted to have this pizza.
0: Oh, my goodness. Right. This is
1: my food. You all got your food. What's happening here? And I'm like, it's just. It's
0: and at just, this point, he didn't even notice that you guys were all sharing and he wasn't.
1: I mean, he, but for him, it was. It's it just didn't, normal. Yeah, it's didn't, normal. You know, we chose because we couldn't decide what we wanted that I'm going to have a little bit of this, a little bit of this. And And he chose the pizza. (laughs) He chose the pizza. Like, we all got to choose. So why is this an issue? For him, it made no sense. And for my mom, it made no sense that he is sitting down with his own food. Because we're all
0: sharing. Right.
1: Why doesn't he sit and be like, who else wants pizza? Because Larry also knew that if it's who else, my father would be like, yeah, yeah, no, I don't really want it, but I'll take a piece. And then it'll be two pieces. And then everyone, and then he'll have, like, two slices of pizza to eat. (laughs) Right? So... And, I, and I'm just standing there going, what? so now, because I made this marriage happen, I feel responsible for taking care of my parents or not being able to take care of what my mom wants and also expecting my husband to just know how to be with Indian parents. But he has no experience of it. There's no, there's things he still has to learn. And it was a really hard trip. One of many hard trips I've had with, you know, family like this. And I just remember, I and Josh at the time, my son was nine months old. And I left them all at the Airbnb and I just walked out and went to the beach and just like cried and walked and cried and walked <laughs> on the beach. Because I didn't know how to solve. Um, and I felt responsible. I felt like I had to solve it yeah. and I didn't know how. And there was no... There was no one I knew who I could turn to and be like, you've been in this situation. What do you do? They're just I just didn't know women who were from India and married someone American and now have a family together. Um, yeah. So n- now, mm-hmm.
0: do you feel like you're in a better place with being the go-between? Do you feel like you're in a place to really um, hold steady the idea of like, look, you're two, diff- two different cultures here. Mm-hmm. You have to understand a part of his culture. He has to understand a part of how I grew up. Mm-hmm. Like you guys have to also meet in the middle.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you think that's gotten better of them trying to understand each other a little yes. bit more, give each other grace?
1: It has gotten better. And I think a lot of it also has been when Larry has seen me sob and cry about how awful it is that this is the family that I constantly feel torn apart in two different pieces. And I think he's had to learn through that what I go through and and has become a lot more patient and has become a lot more understanding of the way my parents are, their expectations. And they, (laughs) I don't know that they've become understanding. I think they've just kind of been like, well, okay, that's how it is. You know, so they've given in. And um, sometimes I feel sad for them because of the choices I've made. (laughs) Because I've always put them in these situations where there's no precedent. And they don't know how, what to do, what to expect. And yet they have to show up in my life. And be a part of my life. So sometimes I I wonder if it's unfair on them, you know, like, almost as if like, I have to, when do I stop living my life so I can take care of them? Right. But I'm not ready to stop. That's
0: also a cultural thing, too, of like, knowing that idea of, you know, you kind of paying... uh, in a sense, paying it forward, even though you're really paying uh, it back to your uh-huh, parents, uh-huh. of like sort of being beholden to them to live up to this idea. Mm. But, you know, I heard something the other day that really resonated with me. Someone, someone asked what this guy, mm. what was the best advice you could give to people who are about to become parents? Mm. And the advice was, um, know that your, your daughter or son or whoever, uh, their job is to be loved Hmm. because they didn't ask to be here. Oh, wow. And so (sighs) their job is not to necessarily love. They have to know what love is. Yeah. Um, hopefully oh, it comes out of that. They don't
1: owe it to, owe to, it it to you to love you back the way you expect. The
0: way you expect.
1: Tell that to Indian parents.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like, I, I think we, you know, depending on the culture, I feel yeah. like there's always that idea of like, feeling like we owe our parents so much more. Yeah then perhaps we do because we also have to live our own lives but oh, thank you for saying that that's also a part of the struggle no i feel the same way too uh, and i think you feel it more the older your parents get
1: yes of course of because course.
0: you want to be you want to care for them mm-hmm. like you want to you know spare their feelings and make their life easier yes and do all that and i think there's it can i think you know the 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 challenge is finding a way to do that without losing yourself in the oh, process.
1: Yes. Cuz you have your own family. Yeah. You have your own life and career aspirations that you want to accomplish. Exactly. And it feels like they are getting I mean I guess in a way they've always been in the back seat. They're never in the driver's seat. But, you know, my I don't know, I feel like in America people are better about having hobbies. <laughs> my well, I would say this: my Midwestern in-laws have <laughs> hobbies, so they're like, "Oh, our kids are not really here. We'll putter around here and do this and gardening and whatever." Having a hobby is not something Indian parents do; they live their life, work, 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 and then parents, ha- um, and then. Kids come along, and then you take care of the kids, and then kids get married, and, you know, you kind of, I don't know what the expectation is. Yeah. And so now both my parents are retired, and neither of us live near them. So we've had to come up with systems of like, okay, every six months, one of us, my sister and I, have to see them. And uh, one of us goes, or they come and visit one of us, and it becomes expensive. But it's, it's awful to say it feels like it's the price I have to pay for making the choices that I've made right. because I still feel responsible and in fact guilt sometimes for um, choosing me uh, because I know the expectation is to choose the family. Uh, so, even even now, I mean, we're going in December and uh, I have an opportunity to go to Bombay to uh, meet with someone I worked with and maybe meet with some other folks. And for a whole week, I've been like, what should I do? Should my kid, my husband, my parents all go with me? Because I'm only going for such a short time. Then they'll be like, you don't spend time with us. You only, you don't live here. And then I'm like, well, okay, maybe like um, Larry and um, my son should come so we can have a family time. But then my parents, I can't leave them alone. Okay, Larry, it's like the game of if you have a tiger, a goat and some (laughs) grass and you have to go across the river on a boat. Which one do you take? Which first? one do you take for It's totally the game. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll take my mother. She and I can go, and you know all of that. But then she's gonna go see my sister, who's now expecting her second child, and my mom has knee issues. I don't want to be responsible for something happens there. And then now, and it's just been this whole thing that ultimately, if I think about it, revolves around guilt. Yeah. Guilt of choosing my dream of finding connections in Bombay. And the possibility of working there. So this morning, (laughs) I was brave enough and I sent them a message saying, I'm going by myself. That's a big step. And I know there's going to be disappointment. um, Because I'm sure my mom was looking forward to maybe having time with me, doing a trip with me and all of that. Um, And it's, it's, I don't know what to do with that. Except... That I have dreams that I want to accomplish. And how they factor into it, I don't know. How to take care of them as I take care of myself. Right.
0: And, you know, ultimately, like, it's hard because you know, they're, they're adults and they have their own life.
1: And supposedly. Supposedly.
0: Girl, I know. You're like right? my parents, I'm like, can y'all get a hobby? Cause they used to be in a dance group and I oh. loved it when I didn't hear from them so much. <laughs> and now my, my mother, her hobby is her granddaughter. Oh. So it's like so fun for me. <laughs> um, if you listen, mom, I love you, but you know, that's your hobby. You know, you need another one. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I I can totally relate to yeah. that, to that idea. And, but I think it's still a brave step. And, you know, perhaps there's an opportunity in there, in that visit for them to show up a little bit more for you. Because I know there's some guilt of like, you feeling like you're not showing up for them. Yeah. But I think... You. It sounds like you come out of your comfort zone more than they come out of theirs. Of course. And so, you know, there's there has to be a little a middle, and maybe you know, hopefully, what I hope for you mm. in this trip is that, um, in their desire to see more of you and to be with you more, that perhaps it's not about the quantity of time, mm. it's about somehow
1: f- the quality. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and that even though you don't see them as much, that the quality of this trip mm-hmm. is so great that it fills that space of you not being there for that yeah. period of time. Yeah.
1: I, I will have to make sure to create that because, um, I mean, I feel like every culture has that. If you're Midwestern, if you're Jewish, yeah. if you're black, if you're Indian, the guilt, parents really know how to milk oh, it. they do. <laughs> they do. So... You know, and you're, there's, it's never enough, no matter how much you try and do. <laughs> so it's almost like it's a failing proposition anyways, and you do your best to create something that hopefully they can enjoy. Yeah, um, Yeah. I, I am I'm actively working, I would say, in this last year especially to separate the guilt from my life. Of, of, you know, I, I, of living where I live, doing what I do, being with who I am and appreciating it more instead of seeing it from their point of view yeah. and going, oh, I wish you lived here. I wish our grandson could be more Indian. I wish, you know, all of those things that I couldn't give them. I can't give them. Yeah. But the i'm in the process of separating myself from the guilt you didn't give them a
0: grandson that was more indian but you gave them a grandson you they didn't get a daughter that lived in india but they have a daughter that is whose eyes have experienced different parts of the world and who is metropolitan and So you've opened up their world.
1: Yes. Yes. (laughs) And I would say, because they grew up in a culture where those things are not of value, it is much harder for them to see the value in what I do Mm. and how I am choosing to live my life. Because my cousin's, My cousin who I was telling you studied that dance, you know, she um, became a biochemist, she studied biochemistry and now has a job and everything, a stable job, doesn't really pursue her art. Um, You know, it's a hobby. And I remember when she was young, we were both young and I found out that she was not going to pursue it. I remember having a conversation with her and telling her, you are amazing. You've worked so hard to study this dance. Don't let your parents tell you to go study this thing and give up this thing that you love. And, you know, she made the choice that she made and decided, no, I'm going to listen to my parents and this is what I'm going to do. But that's the path most of the people in my family are used to. And so the fact that I don't have the kind of money that some of my cousins make and the fact that, you know, flying back and forth every year, costs money and time away from work here but that's those are things that they don't have to factor in and these are things that I have to worry about because I didn't make the safe choice of becoming an engineer right and so for them they the value of seeing the world and what I've learned about I mean you know like If I imagine the me that was 10 years old living in Delhi, I don't, I mean, I think I wanted to come to America because it was all like, ooh, you know, you see it in the movies. But I didn't know the people, the history, the, like, I mean, what I, who I am today, I don't think I could have imagined that happening if I only lived in India. You know, I would have been, A housewife or maybe I did have I would have had some job and raised kids and but I don't think I could have done that (laughs) (laughs) I think I don't think that would have worked out I'm too restless for that so what
0: is now we're you know going into December Mm -hmm. and you're taking this trip and you're meeting some people there um what is your biggest dream for your career
1: Oh, at the moment, what I am encouraging myself to do is create. And what I'm learning is the culture and the family that you grew up in, grow up in, it has impact on you in such insidious ways that you don't even realize. The, the value placed on safety and um, security and financial whatever is so big that for me to create something feels risky. There's a play I want to do next year. I'm writing two different things that I want to write and do. I want to rap.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. Yeah, I
1: know. So I wrote something this summer and I kind of like with someone just you know, randomly in a parking lot put it to music. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have a lot to say. There is no 40-plus-year-old immigrant woman who's writing rap. We have a lot to say about this age, what this means. We have a future generation that we're raising. We have an older generation that we're responsible for. There's a lot to be said. But all the music that's out there is being made by 20-somethings. They don't have that point of view. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, but it scares me because what am I doing? This is a crazy idea. Can I even execute it? Who do I know who can help me? And what would it take to even make it happen? Will it be any good? I mean, you know, these are things that any artist would go through. But I recognize that I come with some inbuilt aversion to things that are risky as opposed to like, oh my God, that's a great idea. Yes, let's do it, right? It's like, are you sure? What's the plan here? How are you going to do it? Maybe you should talk to someone who's done it. Maybe, you know, to do all these things because if you just follow your heart, your inner child, you're going to fail. Like, that's the message. So right now, what I'm really trying to grow into is all my dreams that are crazy, crazy, and ridiculous, how can I nurture them and take action on them, even when it seems like from conventional wisdom and practicality, it's a foolish thing to do? How can I stick by that and grow that? Because I have, even doing what I have done in my life, I have still made a lot of safe choices. Because role models are so important and not having one, you know, it's like you jostle with yourself at yeah. every step because you or all the voices that are saying this is not safe. You're trying to convince them that it's safe, but you also know it's not safe <laughs> and you want yeah. them to say it's not safe, but go for yeah, it. Yeah, keep doing right? it. But that's never going to happen. Yeah. And so you're, it's this inner battle. And until you become aware that that's really the big win, you'll, you'll keep making the same safe-ish choices. You know? Why am I not contacting the directors that I want to work with? Well, because I don't, the credits and the, why would they, they won't, all of that thing that someone who wants to make safe choices, practical choices would say. And so it's like, okay, I have lived half my life. The next half has to be lived more from a place of um, that girl who had, who dreamt as if every dream was possible. You know, until she was told that what she's dreaming is impractical, will never happen. My father, when I told him I wanted to be an actor, said to me, You're never going to make it. And here's the three reasons why. Uh, You're not beautiful enough. You don't have contacts in the industry. And, you know, most most people in the industry fail. There's only 1% who make it. And I remember saying, why don't you think that I can be part of that 1%? And he had no answer for me. And even now, when I'm going through moments of doubt, those messages come back. Yes, I'm not poor and drunk and depressed. Well, depressed, come and go, right?
0: Um, That that goes with the territory in this
1: business. Um, And yes, I still don't know, you know, I'm now in Hollywood. I don't know anybody in that sense who can kind of like get me up the ladder faster. But it's, and I know better. Intellectually, I know all that, that what he was saying was coming from a place of fear and for caring for me and all of that. But I've been doing the artist's way again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can tell I need to do it again.
1: And, you know, the, the message that that girl received when she presented her dreams was, don't dream this, you're foolish. And despite that, I've been able to somehow make the choices that I've made. But I'm realizing how much more there still is. To live from and there's there's a bigger battle here to be won not literally with my parents and with the the culture that I grew up in but now it's a more kind of like psychological emotional battle that that has to happen inside so that I can create more and so that's really what I want next year in the next couple of years to be and yes I want an Oscar one day that is definitely there I want it I've wanted it since I was a kid and I've practiced many speeches as I'm sure you have (laughs) yes (laughs) every few years I revise my speech I have new people different people to thank and um, I think (sighs) I think it will happen
0: I think it will too (laughs) (laughs) no. <laughs> <laughs> we're like two little girls. Like I know. I love this. Oh, I. Okay, before you go. Yes. Um, I'm gonna do what I do with all my guests. I switch up the questions, but okay. I, I I call this a rapid fire, even though it's really not rapid. I
1: mean, I'll do my best to be rapid. So, uh, just first question. Hmm. When was the last time you were in awe? <sighs> In awe. Last night, watching Avengers Endgame and watching Robert Downey Jr.
0: He's so good.
1: Oh, my God. The, the, he's like quicksand. I mean, I, I don't even know if that expression makes sense. But he's so agile. He's so... And it's all there in him. Oh, I was just like, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> like, it just it made my whole body dance just watching him.
0: Um, what's a book you can't stop thinking about?
1: The Alchemist. It's been a while since I've read it, but I remember when I did read it, it had a big impact on me. The idea of journey, the idea of a kid going and not knowing. And, you know, I feel like somehow I remind myself that. It, the, the the unknown journey doesn't always end in a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> first kiss. Oh, <laughs> first kiss was um, uh, this guy called Amit. and I had just shot a feature. I was the lead. He was a first AD. How old were you? i twenty. Kn- um, yeah, I was late bloomer. <laughs> and um, we were in the train. And he kissed me. I had never been kissed before, so I bit his tongue. (laughs) And he was like, ow. And I still didn't know that I had done it. It was just such a reflex. Right. And he was like, you bit me. And I was like, oh, I'm so, what? And then, so that was my first kiss.
0: (laughs) I love that. Okay. um, What does it mean when I say, The phrase, a life well lived, what does
1: that mean to you? It changes every year as I grow older. Right now, a life well lived really would be without fear.
0: Well, I think we all have fear, but... Perhaps just doing it anyway yes, yes the, that you know that quote
1: appear. leap and the net will appear. Mm, yeah that yeah, I
0: love that quote that yeah
1: because you're at the edge and you will be afraid because you've been told all these things, right But it's that leap and and developing the heart that every time says yes to the leap. yeah,
0: you just keep leaping. Yes. Yeah. And then last question um, fill in mm-hmm. the blank if you know me, then you know, dot,
1: dot, dot. That I can tear it up on the dance floor. <laughs> See, we've never done this I that know, no, that. we okay. should. Okay. Yes. I love to dance.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thank you so much, Deep T, for coming today.
1: Thank you for having me. This was me.
0: an amazing conversation. It's always great also um, because even though, you know, we know a lot about each other, but... There's it just shows you that with friends there's still more to
1: know. Oh, always. Um now so I'm really curious like this. to interview you for this podcast and find out about you. Is someone well, we'll interviewing have to, you? We'll have to do one where I'll I maybe mean, I'll have
0: you come back and then you can interview me. Yes.
1: <laughs> I mean I'm I know that you're a trailblazer in your own family. Well, I'll figure out some.
0: Uh, some <laughs> trailblazer of I don't know.
1: <laughs> no, don't underestimate what you've done.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. I, I so love that conversation. It was just kind of like a big gush of fresh air, I feel like, hearing her story and just keeping the idea in the back of your mind that our work is never done. The work that you see for yourself, that you see for your career, the path that you see for your life, I think a lot of us, especially now being in quarantine, you think a lot about what you want out of life right now. I feel like a lot of people are thinking about that even more so. And I think what we all should keep in mind is that to really honor the path that you have for yourself. That's what I want to say. Honor the path that you create for yourself. Honor the things deep inside of you that you really want to accomplish and stay on that path. And follow that beacon of light that's within you, because we all have it. So I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. If you guys want to know more about Deep Tea, there are many, many ways you can keep up with Deep Tea. She has her own website, deepteagupta.com. You can also follow her narrating um, audiobook uh, career on narrates.com On Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can find her at the DeepDGupta. Gupta, and also um, a really cute thing she's doing. She is doing a podcast with her son. They make up stories in Hindi and they share them. And I'll also provide the link to that uh, podcast as well. Um, so if you have kids, that might be something cool you want to listen to with them. Uh, hear some stories in Hindi. And don't forget, guys, if you uh, love this podcast, if you find it intriguing, if you find it interesting, please go to our iTunes page. Give us a five star review. Let us know what you think. Also, feel free to tag me on Instagram if uh, there are any thoughts, any gems or good or bad that you uh, have drawn from any of our episodes so far. I really hope you like them. I hope. With that being said, I am going to sit down for a sec and try to relax. And I hope you guys have a great week. I'll catch you next time.